Welcome to the First Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast of 2019 and Happy New Year. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Taha Lokandwala, Deputy Personal Finance Editor Investors Chronicle and Lauren Peters, Chartered Financial Planner at Fiducia Wealth Management. No one, not least investors, can know exactly what the year ahead will bring. But if you have new money to invest, it does make sense to make an assessment of current conditions and then try to allocate accordingly, depending on what your personal objectives are. So each year, we try and help you to do this by putting together our fun tips for the year ahead to try and help you narrow down the areas and funds it might be worth having exposure to. Taha, you've put together this year's fun tips. So first of all, what factors influenced your decision in terms of the areas to invest in? Hi, you know, so I started off by looking at um, how much you should have to risk assets. And by risk assets, I mean equities. So this should be decided on the economic cycle and how likely it is you think the global economy got migrant into recession to 2019. Now, 2018 gave us some signposts saying that it's going to be sometime in the near future, perhaps. But there was you no know, the, the economic fundamental statistics show that it's probably not going to be next year so that means that equities have some room to run so you shouldn't be discarding equities at this moment in time so that's that was a starting point but you need to be clever about it equities might have some room to run but you have to you have to think about which ones you have to find the right value you have to find the right price so the next stage was then looking at which equities were going to you should be buying and then going the next step further then looking at which funds you should be looking to to decide that the other side was that 2018 obviously showed us that the bull markets of 2016-17 are definitely over. Volatility has returned. It's more normal state, which means that you should be diversified. You need to have, you need to account for the fact that there's going to be volatility in markets. You need to be clever about the way your portfolio is designed. You need to make sure you're managing the risks and managing the risks of this of getting that recession debate wrong. If you think it's going to be 2020, 2021, but it actually happens in 2019, you have to make sure you've managed the risk of that not actually being correct. Okay, quite a few things to consider there. So what areas did it lead you to? So the first one was, um, this is based on the risk assets where where we think there's room to run, but also the clever idea of making sure you find the right value. And that actually is UK equities. Now, so we've talked about UK equities and the value in this market quite a lot on this podcast, and I'm sure um, our readers are well aware. But at this moment in time, UK equities are incredibly under, underpriced based on their fundamental value. And what actually happened in 2018 was like a lot of markets fell in 2018. Only the US provided a positive return. But the fundamentals in the UK market actually improved. Like emerging markets fell, but the fundamentals actually worsened. But the UK, that wasn't the case. It was the opposite. So you're now getting better stocks at lower value. Uh, and if that's the case, then it should be a no-brainer. A lot of this obviously is prefaced on what happens with Brexit. If we get a no deal, then things might get worse. But again, we're buying companies, we're not buying the economy. So it should be slightly different. And most people I spoke to think that there could be a broader market rally when if kind of any deal is negotiated or, or agreed by Brexit. What would be a good way to get exposure to UK equities? So this is the, the, the interesting thing here is that it, because it's it's about the market as a whole rather than individual companies or sectors or anything like that, it's about the, the entire UK stock market being undervalued. So one way I've suggested you can you can do this is just go passive. Because it's when you see more clarity about what happens with the UK and the European Union and the, the future trade relations between these two parties, the entire market will rally. Sterling will rally. The market will rally. So I recommended the uh, ISF, uh, which is the ticker, and it's the iShares Call FTSE 100 USITS ETF. It's the cheapest one, one of the cheapest ones of the market. 
it's the largest, it's the most tradable, it's very efficient, it's in our top 50 ETFs, it's, it's a very good product. Lauren, do you think there are any attractions to UK equities other than the fact they are arguably very cheap? Well, we shouldn't underestimate the valuations as they are obviously critically important. Valuation arguably drives return in the long run. Uh, UK equities are priced today for about 8.5% to double-digit long-term returns. So, I mean, higher if you move into smaller domestic territory. So this is quite far above the long-term average. Uh, It's better than average time to buy the UK equities. So this argument only works, though, as long as the Brexit stuff eventually works itself out. So, say, in five to ten years' time, when things have hopefully gone back to normal. Otherwise, UK governance is strong. Also, we've got solid laws in place in the UK that makes the UK still a very good place to do business compared to many other countries. Plus, the UK FTSE 100 dividend yields at the moment are pretty strong. They're upwards of 4.5%. So if you're an investor who can ignore fluctuations in the short term, there's certainly some yield you can collect along the way. Um, And if there's a good Brexit outcome, we could see an upward bounce, especially in domestic shares that are already priced for disaster scenarios. Um, But what are the risks of investing in UK equities? So the obvious one is a bad Brexit. There's a risk of a self-fulfilling recession here or the economy going off the rails. For example, we could see inflation spikes. We could see GDP uh, weak. We could see the UK debt scenario worsening. And on top of that, the housing market could fall as a result. Um, Plus, if you look at politics, a Corbyn Labour government prospect would be seen as bad for the stock market. Uh, there's a risk here of renationalising firms and, you know, in terms of tax, corporation tax could increase there. So the UK in that scenario could be seen as a bad place to do business and firms could leave the UK. So there's lots of volatility and perhaps the worst isn't over yet. Um, the EU-UK negotiations at the moment seem to be a bit like a game of chicken. Um, it's likely to go down to the wire and that will cause much much anxiety and again, the risk of a self-fulfilling market loss in the meantime. OK, um, so ultimately mixed picture, some great attractions, but also some great risks. Um, do you think investors should put, put money into UK equities at the moment? Yeah, so I think history would suggest it's quite a good time to invest when stocks are cheap on conventional metrics. Um, I'd also look at pound cost averaging, for example. So that's where it's a strategy whereby you invest regularly. So actually you're buying funds at lower prices when the market, when the prices are low, uh, which give, which gives you over the long term a better scenario. Um, in terms of the risk levels, the FTSE 100 large caps are certainly the lowest risk of the bunch. And they are still priced for good returns, uh, as I said, around 4.5% dividends. So uh, that's where, you know, where you could put your money in a more safe environment. Mid-cap domestics are not for the faint-hearted. So I think there I would say, you know, risk-seekers only. Okay. And um, what funds would you suggest for getting exposure to UK equities? So the lowest risk options probably are the defensive large-cap funds. These are like FTSE trackers, essentially. You can play it pretty safe with UK, UK equity income beer months. So in our lower risk portfolios, we have, say, Fundsmith Equity, uh, as well as Vanguard and Invesco Perpetual. Woodford Equity Income at the moment has all its chips in the UK domestic markets. And looking at special situations or recovery funds, value will play a part for those seeking aggressive returns. So undervalued assets may include, at the moment, say, house builder funds. Um, at the moment, they've been they've got the potential to bounce back because they have most of them have halved in recent times. But nothing is guaranteed, of course. Okay, thank you, Lauren. Some interesting choices. Taha, 
what other areas did you suggest in our fun tips for 2019? So the, the other area which I mentioned earlier was to, to manage the risk of volatility and manage the risk of getting that recession call wrong. Um, so in this area, I've gone for capital preservation fund or absolute return funds, as they're also known. Um, these are designed to make sure they make returns in all environments over the medium term, which is generally about three years. Uh, and they, they use a, a range of strategies to do that, whether it's buying equities, buying bonds or shorting equities and shorting bonds, which is essentially a bet that the value of that equity or bond will go down using currencies, finding arbitrage in the markets, all these different ways to do that. Okay, so basically some hedge fund techniques. Uh, yeah, very, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So have um, these wealth preservation absolute return funds been uh, a reliable way to protect your wealth? Um, <laughs> a loaded question and a very mixed picture. It's yes and no, definitely. And there are a lot of reasons for this, many just because they made bad decisions. It's, 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 I appreciate it's probably difficult to to play the environment when the environment keeps changing, especially as we saw in 2018, you know, where every quarter there was a a different momentum. And there's been some very, very bad decisions. Uh, The the biggest one in recent history I can call back to is in 2016, where a lot of these funds, because they can short stocks, um, they were shorting the miners. And they'd done very well out of shorting the miners from 2014, 2015 into 2016, but they they never unwound these shorts. And basically from February 2016 to the end of 2016, Mining was the best performing sector and these funds lost a lot of money. So they have to be very, some of them, you can criticise them for not being quick and nimble enough for making sure that they're in the right place at the right time. That aside, there are some managers that have done a bit better at this and you could actually accuse them of being too defensive uh, rather than being too aggressive in making these bets. Okay, so which funds um, have been um, successful at uh, mitigating downside and preserving investors' wealth? So, so the one I've highlighted is Jupiter Absolute Return, which is managed by James Clooney. Um, he is a long and short global equities fund. So, he, like I said, he buys positions that he thinks are going to do well, but he also bets against stocks and sectors, um, which he thinks that aren't going to do that well going forward. Um, he's at the moment he's shorting bond proxies, which you know it can seems kind of sensible going into 2019. These are the stocks that are going to suffer in rising interest rate and inflation environments. Um, Just briefly, what is a, a bond proxy? Oh, so a, a bond proxy is a it's kind of a, it's, well, it's a quality income stock basically. It's, an, it's a it's a company that exhibits a lot of characteristics of a bond, so stable income. Uh, very defensive, very low volatility, and just generally good companies. We're, we're talking the likes of Unilever and, and things like that. Um, I'm not suggesting that he's shorting Unilever, by mm. the way, but just but so as an example. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. an example, yeah. yeah. Um, arguably, you, again, the one criticism you could level uh, uh, Mr. Clooney is that he's been shorting too early. Um, as a, that's why he like recent performance hasn't been excellent. He's but he has managed absolute returns. So over three years, it's eight point four percent. He provided a positive return in twenty eighteen, uh, unlike many of his peers. But he is he is bearish on equities generally. So he is he's net short. So he has more of his capital in, invested in shorts than he does in long positions. So if you are kind of worried about the state of the equity market in into the coming year, this could be a good bet. Okay, um, Lauren. Do you think absolute return funds are a good way for investors to preserve their wealth? Um, I do, but you do have to be quite selective and have experience in picking them. Um, you know, many of these so-called funds actually have permanently long-only equity exposure. So they behave quite like normal portfolios. Um, so they get found out eventually when markets decline like now and beware of the false labels, essentially. So successfully identifying the absolute return funds that perform best in tough markets is a good way to offset losses elsewhere in a portfolio. When the risk assets are in in decline, they can cushion the portfolio losses overall. But the logic makes sense to have a low or negative correlation asset class in your portfolio anyway.
you mentioned some issues and, and Taha too. Are there any other downsides to um, abstinence funds that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, I think so. For a lot of my clients, it's clear that you have to be aware of performance fees. Um, with many of these types of funds, the managers will take a portion of your profit as the fund goes up. But, you know, when, you, when it goes down, you take the risk and the losses on yourself. Um, as mentioned, sophistication is really needed to understand the fund behaviours and the complex moving parts of this kind of fund. The, the very defensive bearish funds can often make no progress for ages, um, whilst markets keep defying gravity and going up and up. So you can feel like you've got a bucket with a hole in it and you're kind of waiting for things to get better while you lose money. So, and plus, uh, some of them will have leveraging as well, um, which can mean that the manager gets it wrong and you can lose a lot of money rapidly in any market environment. So the important thing really to remember with this kind of fund is that some absolute return funds are very high risk, while some are quite steady and a bit more safe. Okay. And um, are there any wealth preservation or absolute return funds that you would suggest? Uh, Funnily enough, I've got Jupiter Absolute Return Fund as well. I think it's quite good for protection when you need it. Again, the fund manager, James Clooney, has structured the portfolio to to protect when needed. And the fund has stayed pretty consistent in its behaviour. Um, despite tough times and sometimes him getting the ideas not quite working yet. Um, also, I've got Premier Multi-Asset Absolute Return Fund, which is quite a diversified way to get broad exposure to the sector. This one holds about 40 plus funds. It's a fund of funds. Um, but the downside is here, the double layer of, of, of uh, fees involved. Okay. So are there any ways investors could protect their portfolios um, other than by investing in wealth preservation and absolute return funds? The obvious obvious one here is cash, but it's not ideal at the moment. You know, you've got the inflation erosion there. Gold's an option. Um, people do go to gold in this kind of time. But, I, I, you know, gold is very volatile. So we would need quite an immense crisis globally uh, before panic buying is, is seen on a global scale. Possibly some flexible bond funds, such as the IA strategic bond sector. Also, maybe multi-asset portfolios can help. Um, you know, these are where managers are extremely cautious and concerned about capital preservation. So they wouldn't always protect capital, but you should lose less than most in tough times. But again, diversification is really key. Thank you, Lauren. Some really helpful suggestions. The start of a new year and approaching end of a tax year is a popular time for reviewing your personal finances. However, this is often associated with budgeting and saving, which is perhaps more associated with cash-strapped youngsters than people with well-paid jobs or good pensions. But Lauren, why should people who are better off also take time to review their finances? So the new year is a really good time. People tend to want to go on a diet and look after their, their physical health. But actually, it's also a really good time to look at your financial health as well. And I think even if you're relatively good with organising your finances, one thing you can look at is your personal situation. Has anything changed over the past year? Is anything going to change? Are you going to get married, for example? Are, you, are the kids on the way? Uh, with that prompt, you're looking at you know redoing your will, for example. So even if you are pretty good at this, you've got to remember that personal things change, but also legislation changes. We've got Brexit on the horizon, of course. Tax rules change, particularly around uh, the new tax year. So, you know, all of these things can really prompt a look at your financial affairs.
Now, just thinking about people who are better off, are there any things that maybe, you know, are quite specific to them? Yeah, so the dividend allowance is something you can use up. All of your tax allowance is something, are things that you should be looking to utilise fully in every tax year. You've got capital gains allowance, for example. Tax issues, have you mitigated your tax issues as far as you possibly can? Uh, What about future tax concerns? Has your portfolio been reviewed? I mean, I'm also a pension specialist, so I would really encourage people to look at their pensions. Where are they, for one for one question? Because many people have lots of pensions from previous jobs. And, you know, it might be time to look at those. How are the investments doing in those pension funds? Is it worth consolidating those pension funds? Understanding if you want to take an income in the future and how to do that is another good question to look at. Uh, if you get that correct... Uh, you can get the tax situation right and therefore it's not so much about the investment returns as receiving a return uh, from getting the tax right in the first place. Okay. Now, are there any particular type of financial problems or financial risks um, that could affect better off investors perhaps in the near future? Yeah, so for my clients there's a few issues actually that have come about in recent times. One thing particularly is the tapering of the annual allowance for pensions which came in April 2016 but is only really starting to catch people on their tax bills. So I would really urge people to look at if they're affected by the tapering and there's a calculation you need to do to, to work that out. But generally speaking, if you have income of over £150,000 a year, and by income, I don't just mean your salary or bonus. I also mean any rental income you've got, um, any kind of savings and investment income that's not held within a tax wrapper, then you might find that your annual allowance for pension purposes, that's the amount you can put into your pension per year, is reduced. And in some cases, to as little as 10000 a year. Now, I've got many clients who are getting to the point where they're putting in maybe twenty, thirty thousand. They've actually been capped at ten thousand a year and have only just picked this up and, and come to me as a result. Um, so that's one thing I definitely say look at. Do not get into a position where you're paying far too much tax on your pension contributions. Um, hand in hand, the lifetime allowance for pensions. You know, at the moment it's one one million and thirty thousand a year. And many people will find they're closer to that limit than they think, especially if they're in, say, a defined benefit pension, where the calculation parameter is quite different from an invested pension fund, where it's very obvious how much your pension's worth. Um, also, you know, the much maligned inheritance tax. Now, for some people, this will be offset by the new nil rate tax band on uh, residential properties, which gives you an extra inheritance tax band if you're passing money on to children and grandchildren Um, however there are restrictions on that too so if you have assets above two million in your estate when you die then you're going to see that um, that tapering also go down okay um are there any strategies that people could go about to try and address some of these issues yeah so the first thing i would definitely say is look at your tapering of the annual allowance position so if you think you might be affected and I'd say anybody that earns over a hundred thousand a year should really look at this Um, definitely calculate this properly and make sure you're aware of how much tax you're due to pay and how much you might be asked to pay by the revenue by uh, going over your contribution limits for some people they might actually be in a position where their HR department will give them a salary supplement in lieu of uh, making an extra contribution on their behalf to their pension Um, Again, you know, look at your lifetime allowance as well. 
And planning for later life, I think this is going to be a massive area in the future. Is your will up to date? What happens if you become sick or you die? Where is your money? Does anybody actually know where your money is? Have you told your spouse or other half um, how to find the money, what to do? It's a very upsetting time anyway. So I think, you know, making sure that your loved ones know what to do in that scenario is is definitely the way forward. What about power of attorney, for example? Um certainly take advice <laughs> if you're in any way unsure about what to do and what you can do to to look at your finances better um take advice on this okay um now thinking about tax efficiency mm. um you know, many people are familiar with pensions and ISAs, but as you mentioned, some people can only put 10,000 year into pension. Um, so if you use that up and the ISA allowance of 20,000, are there any other tax efficient wrappers we should consider? Yeah, so we're seeing actually over the past maybe year or two, a lot of money has gone into venture capital trusts, VCTs, and enterprise investment schemes known as EIS. Um, these give you pretty good tax breaks, but I would definitely uh, say you've got to be aware of the risks involved you know it's investment into smaller companies it's hmrc approved um but you know you've got to be aware that this is not in any way like investing in the FTSE 100 so you'll be very clear about um what exactly what you're getting into also don't forget your spouse's allowances i've got so many clients actually who have done everything they can with their own pensions and isa and uh, you know, maxed it out fully, pretty much at the limit of the lifetime allowance. Have stopped investing in their own pensions, their own ISA accounts, but haven't really fully utilised their their spouses' allowances in pensions and ISAs. So look at that as well. How about planning on passing to the next generation? There are many ways you can do this very tax efficiently. So that's also something I'd look at doing. What mistakes should higher net worth individuals try to avoid when financial planning? Um, so don't underestimate how long you'll live for. Uh, many people think, well, actually, I'm only going to plan to live till about 80. But we know now that people are living to 100 and beyond. So make sure you do have enough money to su- survive as long as that. Um, some people also will follow the crowd and take decisions on investments that perhaps aren't well suited to them. So I'd always make sure you go back and look at what it is that you're trying to do with your uh, with your planning, with your, with your financial planning. What is your end goal? What are your lifetime ambitions and goals? How How is your strategy in place going to complement those and help you get to those more quickly and more efficiently? You know, don't follow the crowds. I would definitely look at your own individual circumstances first. Okay. Now, um, you mentioned the issue of running out of money um, mm. before you die. Um, so is budgeting and saving something you should consider doing even if you're well off? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, unless you are a billionaire, you do have to have some kind of budget in place. And so it's good if people get to the point where they want to see an advisor, for example, and have an idea about what kind of level of income they want in retirement. That's probably the starting point. And I will say to people, actually, what's your bottom line figure? You know, how much do you need per month to survive and have a kind of um, basic level of living? let's attack that first and make sure you've got that in place and then you look at what your ideal scenario is um, how much money you would like to have per month in retirement Um, that's when you can take a bit more risk in order to get that extra holiday a year or extra three holidays a year whatever it might be beyond that that's where you can take even more risk because you might be looking at longer term investments so for example passing down to children or grandchildren who might not need the money for 20 years that's a much longer time frame for risk
Okay. Now, turning to the actual investments, when you're reviewing your portfolio, what key things should you look at? Again, you know, what are you trying to achieve? That's definitely key. Does the strategy fit that? But also the time frame. You know, how long are you going to, when are you going to need the money back? Is it needed back in three years, five years, 10 years? Uh, that will really dictate how much risk you can take. Also, how genuinely comfortable are you with that level of risk? So some people say they're quite comfortable with risk, but haven't really experienced it. So I would always encourage people to think about a time when they have experienced some kind of loss um, and how that really made them feel. Avoid overtrading when you're a DIY investor, particularly, you know, you don't want to be chasing the returns by going after, you know, various ideas and falling away from your overall strategy. Um, clearly be aware of, aware of the fees involved and also the tax situation in any given investment is important to look at. Okay. And um, what mistakes or bad habits should investors try to avoid when reviewing and reallocating portfolios? Again, much of the above, really. Uh, if you've inherited your portfolio, that's another one that doesn't happen to, to everybody, but certainly some people it does happen to. Try and avoid holding onto stocks for sentimental reasons if it doesn't fit your overall picture and objective and your risk profile. Um, stick to your plan. Get the fundamentals right. Ideally, take advice and uh, hold tight for Brexit. Okay, thank you, Lauren. Some really helpful tips. That brings us to the end of today's show. But see today's Investors Chronicle of a website for a full set of fun tips for 2019, an update on how our 2018 fun tips are doing, and more information on financial planning and tax efficiency. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.